says the psalmist. Praise God in His heavenly dwelling. Praise Him in His mighty heaven. Praise Him for His mighty works. Praise His unequaled greatness. Praise Him with the blast of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lyre and harp. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with a clash of cymbals. Praise Him with loud, clanging cymbals. Let everything that lives sing praises to the Lord. And then the last words of the Psalter, praise the Lord. So uh, this morning, after uh, spending uh, the season of Lent and then into Easter, uh, doing a fairly deep dive into the theology of the atonement, uh, I wanted to bring us this morning to Psalm 150. Uh, We've already been connecting uh, in worship and in word with the words of this psalm. Uh, And I'd I'd like to invite us just to camp here at Psalm 150 for a few moments this morning. Uh, Now, the reason that I want to do that is not, uh, as some of us might be thinking, oh, I see, we did the hard theology, we did the hard work, we did the deep thinking, and now we're going to do something lighter. This is our break. This is a chance to relax a little bit and have um, just an easy time uh, in uh, thinking about something like praise. Uh, And as a matter of fact, if you're thinking that, Uh, You might also have heard uh, sometimes um, the way that we think about the uh, sort of praise and worship time at the beginning of our service, uh, we think of that as sort of almost a warm-up time. Um, You know, we're going to get through some music, we're going to sing a little bit, and then after the praising is done, then we're going to get to the hard uh, theological work uh, in the sermon. Uh, And sometimes we even go one step further than that, and we'll say things like, uh, I'm going to go to church this week, and I'm going to go to church uh, because I need to go and just sort of check out from the real world for a little while. I need to to get away from the hard stuff, the the real things, uh, my my real life, and I'm going to set that real life aside, and I'm going to come in and have some time uh, to reconnect and to recharge and and to sort of be in a place uh, where the, you know, in the sanctuary, Right where the real world, the real stuff, the real things that we do uh, are held uh, at a distance. And what, and what Psalm 150 wants to say to us today is this, that nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, uh, what Psalm 150 wants to say to us is not that uh, praise is the warm-up and it leads to theology. Uh, it isn't that um, we have the real hard work that we do in our lives, and then once in a while we take a break from that hard work and we come and praise instead. Uh, rather, rather, what Psalm 150 wants to say is, all theology ends in doxology. Theology always brings us to praise. Our hard work, our real work, always brings us to praise. The real life that we live is here. The most real thing that any of us will ever do is here. This is what you were created for. This is what you will do for eternity. Uh, You were made to be a person, a creature, who gives praise to God. This is real life. Everything else that we do is less real than praise. So all all theology is doxological. Uh, Doxology means a word of praise. It's It's a word of worship. All theology leads to praise. All work leads to praise. Ultimately, all living leads to praise. So let me just show you that for a minute in Psalm 150. Psalm 150 begins with a commandment to praise. Uh, 
it's a word that's in the imperative voice, right? It's not an invitation. Would you like to come to worship today? Would you like to praise? Would you like to give praise to God? Maybe you would consider it. It's not, right? It's, 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 it's an imperative. We have a commandment to praise. There is an expectation uh, that we will be people of praise. And so every once in a while, people will say something like, it seems sort of like a strange program uh, to have a God who is constantly commanding people to praise him, right? It's sort of like the ultimate egomaniac. Uh, it, and it rings a little hollow sometimes. Well, who is this God that he has to constantly ask people to praise him? Do you like, do you, will you praise me? Will you give me some praise? And um, it, it sort of reminds me, um, last week in our staff meeting, um, I was observing that every once in a while, not very often, but every once in a while, uh, somebody up here um, will try to say something humorous, a joke, um, and it will fall flat, right? doesn't happen very often, but it's noticeable when it does because it's rare, right? But when it happens, and so I was speculating that it would be interesting to have a laugh track uh, installed, right? And, and it would sound like that, right? So, right, in the event that I launch into something or... Um, you know, Brad launches into something, and he and something doesn't work, right? It kind of falls flat. Uh, the sound guy would just push the little laugh button, and there would be that laugh track that would go on the back, right? And you and you say, well, and you know that didn't get much traction in my my, my proposal, right? It kind of died um, uh, right on the spot. Nobody wants a laugh track in church, right? Nobody wants an applause sign to light up behind me and laugh and applaud, right? Everybody knows. Right, that that just seems hollow. Right, that just seems insincere. And is Psalm 150 sort of the laugh track of the Psalms? Right, is it the applause sign? Is God just saying, "Okay, worship me now, give me praise now"? Is it hollow? Is it insincere? How can it be possible for God to command His people to praise Him if we don't feel like praising Him? And so, what I want to say is that that's not at all what's going on here. Uh, we are. Um, commanded to praise. Uh, and the picture is that praise is something that we must do in the same way that a reflex is something that we must do. Uh, praise is something that we must do in the same way that a reflex is something that we might do. In other words, when you see uh, God's mighty works and when you see God's greatness, those are two terms that show up in the Psalms, God's mighty works and God's greatness. When you see those things, when you brush up against God's greatness, the natural reflexive response of the human spirit in relationship to that is to praise God. It's a reflex action that we have no choice but to praise God. C.S. Lewis uh, once made the observation about other human beings. He said sometimes when you get sideways with people uh, and you look at people as an enemy, uh, you look at people as um, less than or um, um, undesirable or um, off-putting, and C.S. Lewis said, if you could just see what that human being would look like once they step into God's glory. In other words, once all of so the externals are set aside and you can see the essence of that person in glory, that person would be so beautiful and so compelling that your reflex would be to fall down and worship that human being. That's the nature of God's glory. And so in Psalm 150, it isn't just that we see God's glory reflected on another human being that alone causes us to want to worship, but we see the glory of God in and of itself. And when we see the glory of God, when we see the power of God, when we see the greatness of God, the only natural reflective, reflexive response available to us 
is to fall down and worship him, to praise him. God's mighty works, God's greatness. These are terms that especially refer to creation, his mighty works, and God's greatness refers to redemption. Creation, redemption, God's power, and God's love. So uh, think about how it is that creation resonates in your soul. Think about conversations that you have uh, about your experiences in God's creation. Maybe uh, as you step outside on a beautiful spring morning and you hear the robins and you smell the fragrances and you um, sort of see the, the greening of the world around you, the sky is beautiful and blue and the sun is coming out, and you take a deep breath and you feel alive, you feel hopeful. Uh, maybe you uh, see just the natural beauty Uh, the tranquil uh, uh, afternoon spent at a favorite fishing hole, maybe a hike in the woods or a horseback ride in the meadow, Uh, the grandeur of the Rocky Mountains, a desert landscape, an ocean sunset. When we experience these things, uh, our spirits soar, right? We we say uh, we we, we have this, this evocative sense of being close to God, being exhilarated, being alive. In that sense, in the human spirit, is a brush uh, with God's creative power. Uh, it's, our, it's our connection to God's creative power. And when we experience God's creative power, we have that sense of being fully alive, in touch with something that is transcendent and exhilarating. And it's important for us, says the psalmist, not to stop there and say that the, the creation itself is not the source of your joy. The creation itself is not the source of the, the life that you're experiencing, but it's a gift that comes through the creative power of God. And so don't stop with the enjoyment of creation. But next time you're out uh, enjoying um, the, the beautiful springtime, the beautiful summertime, you're traveling, and you see those, uh, those natural landscapes that just fill you with awe, Just turn that back into a word of praise to God. It's a reminder of that reflex of the human spirit that wants to give worship to our God. And then God's love is shown to us through this powerful work of redemption. We see his power in creation, but we see his love in redemption. And the psalmist here is thinking, of course, when he thinks about redemption, about Israel's redemption from captivity in Egypt. Uh, the language here in the psalm, uh, the tambourine and the dancing. Uh, think through your biblical history, and you'll um, come to a scene where the Israelites have crossed over the Red Sea, and Miriam is leading a time of praise, playing the tambourine, the percussive instruments, and dancing uh, on the other side of the Red Sea. Uh, the trumpet is a reminder of the call to freedom. Uh, The trumpet is sounded at the beginning of the year of Jubilee. It's a message of grace. Sometimes when we uh, think about grace, we sort of act as if uh, grace was back then when we first met Jesus. Uh, Sometimes people will even say things like grace is for sinners. Grace is for people to come to Jesus. It's through grace that we are saved. And then we leave it there as if grace is only for being saved. And what the psalmist wants us to see as the psalmist uh, celebrates these acts of redemption in the biblical story, uh, this this act of grace to constantly set God's people free, what the psalmist wants to say is that 
that saints will go through more grace than sinners ever will. Uh, John Ortberg has a wonderful little image, and what he says is saints burn through grace the way 747s burn through jet fuel. Uh, Grace is that powerful, redemptive presence of God's self that allows you to do what you would not and could not do on your own. It is God's power to do in you and through you uh, his redemptive work in the world. Yes, grace sets you free. Yes, grace forgives you. Yes, grace draws you to the cross and reconciles you to the God. Grace does all of those things. And then grace continues to work in your life, allowing you to then reconcile others, forgive others, move towards others, and to see others experience the same freedom. Uh, This um, past week uh, came across a, uh, many of you uh, probably have seen similar reports. Uh, A week ago, uh, we woke to the news of the uh, church bombings in Sri Lanka. And uh, this past week, uh, we learned a little bit more about some of those congregations. Um, Zion Church of Batakaloa, uh, was a congregation uh, that was devastated. Uh, 14 children and 12 adults were killed as they gathered for worship. And uh, seven of them, um, uh, seven of their members are still hospitalized uh, as of uh, this, um, the end of this past week. Uh, one of those killed was the 14-year-old son of the uh, church's pastor. And this is what uh, Pastor Mahison said. This is, this is his message. He said, we forgive you because we believe in Jesus Christ. Stop and think about that for just a minute. He says this, we are hurt, we are angry also, but still, as the senior pastor of Zion Church, Batakaloa, the whole congregation and every family affected, we say to the suicide bomber and also to the group that sent the suicide bomber that we love you, we forgive you, no matter what you have done to us, we love you because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a brush with grace. That is a picture of God's greatness, his redemptive love. And when we encounter that kind of grace in the world, when we see God at work in somebody's life, through somebody's life, doing what only God can do, the natural response, the reflexive response, is to worship and to praise him. Praise is the natural result. The second thing that we want to notice in Psalm 150 today is that praise is the reason that you were created. What is your ultimate purpose in life? Why are you here? What is your great vocation? What is the meaning of your existence? And the answer, according to the psalmist, is you were made to praise God. You were made to be a creature who gives God praise. And so the psalmist says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Uh, The word breath there takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. God puts his breath, his living breath, into the first human being. And this breath that God gives all human beings gives them Vitality gives them life and gives them purpose. Uh, in Isaiah 42, you can look at it on your own 
uh, verse 5, Isaiah returns to this idea of God stretched out his hand and gave uh, breath to all living things. And he says, and I'm giving breath to you so that you can demonstrate my righteousness. The purpose of the breath that God has given to you is so that you can call attention to the one who gave you that breath, the one who created you. In the last moment of life, in the very end, the very last possession that you will have is this breath that God has given to you. And the psalmist says that the best and the most fitting use of that breath is to praise God. You are never more fully yourself. You are never more fully alive than when you are using the gift of breath that God has given you in the first place to praise the God who gave it to you. And this sense of purpose is not just individualistic, but it's also corporate. It's communal. It's communal in two ways. Uh, First of all, we see that in Psalm 150, uh, this is filled with plural language. English doesn't do a good job uh, with plural use. Uh, So we just say you, and some of us will hear you, all of you. If we were in Texas, it would be y'all, right? Y'all. Praise God. Uh, And some of us hear it individually. And both are at play here. This is both individual and corporate. When the psalmist lists all of these instruments, uh, he's basically thinking through the musical instruments that would have been a part of a a service of worship uh, in the temple, in the synagogue, uh, where um, God's people come together uh, for temple worship. Uh, These are uh, on the festival days, on um, on, on days of sacrifice in the courts of the temple. These are the instruments that God's people would have used together, corporately, collectively, to worship God. Except for, one, the flute, right? How many flute players do we have here? Any flute players? We have some? Yep. Uh, The flute was not a part of temple worship. Uh, The only time, the only other place that we see the flute mentioned in the Bible, uh, it's in um, household worship. And so uh, it's almost as if Uh, The psalmist is saying, when you come into the temple, your purpose is to praise and to worship God. The highest purpose of the temple is to offer praise to God. And then when you gather as a family, in family worship, where the flute would be found, your family's purpose is to praise God. And then as an individual, as as a person, your purpose, the reason that you were given breath is to be a person who praises God. And then finally, the third thing uh, that we want to see here very quickly is this. We have this outline, uh, verse 2. Think of this as a series of questions. Verse 2 says, uh, why should we praise God? Uh, Why? Uh, Because of his acts of power and his greatness, his his creation and his redemption, uh, his love and his his grace. Um, And then uh, for everything. Verse 3 through 5 says, how should we we praise him? How do we do it? Uh, With everything, in every way. Uh, with all of our instruments, with all of our breath. And then who should praise him? Verse 6, everyone. Here's the idea. Everywhere, everyone, with everything, give praise to God. Everywhere, everyone, with everything, give praise to God. Praise is the final, ultimate um, culmination of everything. The Psalms are divided into five mini-books, right? When you read through the Psalms, you don't see those divisions always, uh, but there are five sort of mini-books in the Psalm collection. 
each one of those five sections end with a doxology. The end of each one of the five sections of Psalms, uh, there is a, uh, a word of praise, a moment of praise. And now at the very end, Psalm 150, not only is this the end of the fifth and final mini-section, but it's the end of the whole collection. And so we have not just a word, but we have an extended word of praise, uh, an extended doxology. Why? Here's what's happening. After all of the life that the Psalms cover, right? think about the topics that you find in the Psalms. Think about it. That's huge. Uh, the psalmist asks heart-rending questions. Uh, the psalmist expresses the fullest, deepest range of human emotion. You can go to the Psalms and find expressions of absolute rage. You can find expressions and prayers for revenge against your enemies. You can find expressions of profound humiliation, despair, um, abandonment, the absence of God, wrestling with the great questions of life. Why is there evil if God is so good? What is God like? Why does God let people suffer? Has God abandoned us and left us behind? You see expressions of, of a great celebration and deep, rending, wrestling before God. Is God, what is, is God fair? Has God forgotten us? Is God faithful? Is God good? Is God, um, is God angry? All of this wrestling that happens. And at the end of all of that, wrestling, suffering, hoping, longing, all of it, in every case, after each of the five books, and then again at the end, all of that, the deepest emotions, the highest thoughts of humankind, all of it ends, it always resolves in praise. Here's the invitation. When you find yourself in those places, despair, wrestling, confusion, loneliness, when you find yourself asking the big questions, what is God like? Begin to reach for praise. The big questions are ultimately not uh, designed to lead us to answers. The big questions are designed ultimately to lead us to praise. We resolve into praise. Eugene Peterson says it this way, all prayer, all questioning, all thinking, all theology, all prayer pursued far enough becomes praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry and fearful the experiences it traverses, ends up in praise. It does not always get there quickly or easily. The trip can take a lifetime, but the end is always praise. And then he continues, it may take years, decades even, for certain prayers to arrive at the hallelujahs of Psalm 150. Not every prayer is capped off with praise. In fact, most prayers, if the Psalter is a true guide, are not. Most prayers in themselves do not end in praise uh, because we're in misery. Prayer, though, is always reaching towards praise and will finally arrive there. Saints of God, let your prayers, let your theology, let your living, let your working always be reaching towards praise. All of us, in all places, with everything, for the glory of God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of praise. Thank you for the psalms that call us to praise. 
Lord, for the places in our lives where we are uh, spending uh, a great deal of time uh, in worry and fear and anger and upset and jealousy, when we're uh, filled with shame, Lord, in all of those dark places, help us to begin to reach to you in grace. Help us to see your great acts of power in creation. Help us to brush up against the moments of grace that call us reflexively to become worshipers of you. Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, we're going to take a